1: Message home, get no flexing on me. My attorney, gon' call it collect. Blessings on blessing for me. My successes only made them envious. They got upset. I had to put all their egos in check. I want the money to power.
2: What is happening, everybody?
1: So, and so you're not a cause I really know
2: so and so. They like my family. It's been a hot minute. Recording this during daylight hours for once. That means no, no bourbon right now. That opening clip. Every time I hear that, uh, and I'd just like to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. To quote, to quote the one great Conor McGregor. Um, I guess it's time to fade out the music. <laughs> Uh, how's everyone doing out there? I hope, I hope, I hope you're doing well. I always ask the question, but you know, you can come by and and tell me, uh, in the chat. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be interesting, kind of different, uh, show, not really different, just, um, more perspective. I want to feel the savagery inside of you. and That is why. This episode number twenty-seven, recorded today, Thursday, September twenty-first at eleven a.m. Mountain Time in the U.S. What is that? Greenwich Mean Time minus four, I think. Um, I have titled this one "Agency of Technology: Become a Hacker." <laughs> hacker, become a hacker. I do not edit my episodes, so I just have to fumble through it. You have to fumble through it with me. Uh, everything I, I do for the podcast is actually just recorded. In one shot, sometimes I do pause or mute, but uh, as I move my mic around. But yeah, it's uh, it's agency of technology. Become a hacker. Find that inner savagery inside of you, because things are starting to get. Um, I wouldn't say dark, but things are coming to light, and I'm trying to look at. The tools, the services that I use, the applications that I use through a different lens of what comes after. And so, one of the things that I'm going to talk about is kind of your mindset. And I'm going to play a couple of clips that will kind of play into that and through discovery uh, recently in a technologist that. I, I knew about a long time ago, but kind of uh, catching back up on some of his work, that's really interesting to me. And it's not going to be a massive paradigm shift for us or anything like that, but it at least gets us pointed in the, in the right direction and looking at things from this lens of what happens next. So, Um, First off, before we get into the meat and the crux of the topics, I'd just like to give a big shout out to Michael Bates, a privacy badass, Richard G., another privacy badass over on our Patreon page. Uh, I I greatly appreciate the support. I'm going to uh, uh, list some of uh, the lightning donators in the show notes as well because they have weird names. Those are people who donate through Lightning through a podcasting 2.0 compatible application, which I highly recommend to use. I like AntennaPod and Podverse. Those are my go to. There's Fountain. There's a, a myriad of other applications that support open standards, that support being able to contribute value using uh, Bitcoin on the Lightning Network to your favorite creators who do podcasts. Uh, for those that aren't really into the crypto thing, you can also donate through the Patreon page, which will be linked in the show notes and is linked on our website, which is closednetwork.io. So greatly appreciate any and all support. Uh, If you can't contribute value, there's other ways to contribute. Uh, And some of those contributors who have been with us from the very, very beginning are Maddest Max, Unintelligent Seven. Our moderators do a really good job, and I really appreciate them uh, for helping me moderate the the matrix chat, uh, as well as also helping maintain some of our infrastructure. Uh, So on Intelligent 7, uh, big shout out, thank you for helping. Uh, About six weeks ago, we upgraded our Mastodon server. Mastodon is a decentralized, kind of open Twitter like platform where you can come and you can register an account. And if you're not into the live chat, kind of like a newer version of IRC, which we use matrix, uh, maybe you just want to download an app on your phone and connect and create an account. Maybe you're already on Mastodon somewhere. We are federated. So you can follow us. Um, I will have uh, links to uh, my, my profile uh, as well in the show notes. So uh, follow us on Mastodon and of course, Obviously, the, the Matrix chat is kind of where all of the Hangout is. We have two channels. We have our main channel, uh, which is the you know closed network podcast, uh, which we have 187 people in as I record this episode. And then we also have an off-topic channel, which has 81 people in. So if uh, you want, the easiest way is probably just to download the Element uh, chat. There are other other applications, but element seems to be the easiest one to use. And you can just create an account and then go to closenetwork.io and click join us on matrix. And, uh, there's two links, one for the main channel and one for the off topic. So feel free to pop by. If you come into the regular channel, you won't see any messages, uh, before the time that you joined, because it is all end to end encrypted. Uh, we decided to do that a long time ago and it's still that way. So we, we may decide to self host that and move that over at some point. But for now, we're we're you know just chilling on the matrix.org infrastructure, which um, I would love to yeah talk to you. Come by and say hi. So when I say how you doing, I expect at some point for you to come by and tell me on Mastodon, Twitter, or. In our matrix channel. So you can come and tell me how you're doing. So I'm going to be talking about a few stories. Uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. Uh, quick rundown is, you know, us spies meet with privacy experts over surveillance, AKA the crown jewel. Uh, that's going to be in reference to section seven zero two, which is up for renewal at the end of the year to talk a little bit about how car, car companies, um, are basically massive data collectors, and um, there is a petition that you can put your name on to stop collecting and sharing and selling all your personal information. Uh, just this morning, uh, saw that T-Mobile's having another issue. Once again, <laughs> people are logging into their accounts and seeing other account data, credit cards, billing, all sorts of fun stuff. So, also some updates to Moldad VPN, as well as Threema. We're gonna talk about why self-host. Not necessarily what to self-host, but why self-host. And uh, going to a little bit more about uh, some other things that have to do with just overall mindset. So I'm going to have a couple clips I'm going to play from uh, one from Corey Doctorow uh, from DEF CON 31. We're going to talk about uh, The Hacktivist, which is an award-winning short film documentary featuring Andrew Bunny Huang. He is uh, the creator of Precursor and some other tech, which is um, basically all open hardware, running like risk v system uh soc devices so basically fully open source uh uh, components to make a phone selling a phone and and hacking kits around that and part of um the theme of this is to become a hacker and when i say that i don't necessarily mean that um a hacker in the sense where you might picture the Person with a hoodie wearing an anonymous mask in front of a matrix computer or screensaver. I'm not talking about that. Um, I know that that's kind of how uh, movies and TV shows have glamorized what hackers are, but I want you to think about it in a sense of uh, it's a mindset. So in your everyday interactions, thinking beyond what's right in front of you or what you're doing. Every time you enter in an email address, a password, signing up for an application or a service or a membership or rewards program, thinking about hacking the system, expecting that they will get hacked and opting out of certain platforms that basically have hacked you. And what I mean by that is we know that a lot of the big tech companies uh, use us as the product. They've hacked us psychologically by making us feel like we're going to miss out if we're not on this particular platform where all of our friends and relatives are. And I've often heard, well, you know, I would switch to a different thing or i do something different, but all my friends are over here. Or all my family is over here. And I, under- I, I get the sentiment. I do. And it's important to have those connections with people. But we have, we have basically come to a point in our lives from a technological standpoint where everything's being consolidated and that consolidation is happening, not just in the technology uh, aspect, but even the product to consumer aspect, as far as like how many companies actually control the products that we purchase and, and rely on every day, whether it's toothpaste or a coffee pot or a television, uh, or even an automobile, that there's this consolidation of providers and users or consumers. And so thinking like a hacker is um, basically frowned upon because oftentimes hackers are trying to figure out how to use something other than the way that it was intended by its designers. And so that is kind of the frame of reference is when you are interacting with a product Or a service or a service provider is thinking about. Wait a second. What they're trying to do is sell me on something and giving value to me. So they're trying to hack you. They're trying to hack me. You go to the grocery store and they say, "Go ahead and punch in your phone number to get your rewards." You want that savings. You want those coupons. That's the perceived value. But what you're actually giving up in return is something. Far more valuable, and they will make more money off of you and your purchasing habits than, than you will save from those coupons. And it doesn't mean you can't save; it just means you have to think like a hacker. And hackers, um, you know, are people or individuals. There are different types, and we'll get into that later. But they are looking at ways to use something or utilize something that they have access to or may not have access to yet in a way that wasn't intended by its engineers or its designers. And so that is what I mean. We've all fallen into this sheep mentality, and I I, I include myself. I'm not calling anyone out. uh, Over the last 20 to 30 years where we've put a lot of faith in companies or individuals that we believe have good intentions and so we give them our information we give them access to us our religious beliefs our political stance our friends our family our connections who we uh spend the most time with what we buy where we buy it how often and where we travel how often we travel how long we stay there it's basically your entire life. And so when you start thinking like a hacker, I don't necessarily mean everyone's got to go and download and install Arch from you know, the hard way and not using Arch install script, but doing it the hard way and compiling things manually. I'm not talking about that. I mean, eventually we'll get you to that point. But right now it's more about mindset. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into um, a little bit about these big companies who basically built their companies, Google, Apple, you know, several companies that built their companies by not making cool stuff, but by failing at making cool stuff and just having enough money to buy somebody else's and bringing it into the fold as one of their products. I can't, I, I don't know how, what the average listener age is, um, but I have seen over the last 20 years, Google try and fail repeatedly at trying to become a, a uh, a worthy ad, uh, uh, adversary in the social media space. Anyone remember Google wave or Google plus some of these crappy Google authorship. That was another one where they were trying to, uh, get people who are publishers to incorporate their Google, uh, profile got authorship and they would, it would show up in search results. This was actually just as recent as like 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and none of it 's worked out uh, they 've literally bought everything they didn 't make youtube they bought youtube they didn 't make the ad network. they bought the ad network they they you know th- what i 'm saying is uh they there 's a lot of innovation that 's happened outside of these big tech companies and they just buy them Apple does it all the time. They buy like ninety companies a year, like one every three days uh so Though we look to these companies as like, oh, wow, they're so futuristic, and they're so smart, and they innovate. No. I mean, I'm sure there is some innovation that does happen. Most of the time, they're acquiring their competition. Amazon did it to diapers.com. They wanted to acquire them. They said no. So Amazon sunk diapers.com by underselling diapers at at a loss, $100 million plus loss until they went out of business. And then they just, now they own the market. So all that to say is <clears throat> understand when you're interacting with these companies that it's not, I know we all hear like, you're the product. It's it's beyond that. They're actually hacking you psychologically, emotionally, mentally, physically, in a lot of ways, they're hacking you for for their gain, their monetary gain. So do I feel bad for using ad blockers? No. Do I feel bad for using uBlock Origin? Nope blocking them so we have to we have to hang on to the last remaining open frameworks that we have and we need to really feel them up and build them up because we're going to need it because we're all eventually going to herd it into these walled gardens of what we perceive to be the internet and in reality they're just platforms that run on an interconnected network which we call the internet. And um, of course, there's governments and and other forces that want to censor that as well. So there's a kind of this like soldier mentality that I kind of have developed over the last several years. When I say that, not to take away from actual real soldiers and what they do, but a soldier for our freedom, our freedom of speech, our freedom of autonomy. And that's why I have... Uh, label this an agency of technology because it is part. Technology is part of what makes us who we are and what exists and how we interact with the world. And so, becoming a hacker uh, and take that as far or as little as you want is more about mindset more than just uh, actually hacking like on a computer or a phone. Though that's where it will lead, and that's kind of where uh, I wanted to. I guess, create the vibe around if the cool. That's what the cool kids say, you know, the vibe. Um, so uh, I'm just going to kind of get into it. Uh, and then we're going to get into the meat and the crux of, of this whole vibe mentality of becoming a hacker uh, and an agency of technology. So uh, at the end of the year, there's an article on wired. Uh, this actually came out a couple weeks ago where top U S spies meet with privacy experts over surveillance, the crown jewel, which is, which is section, um, uh, uh Section seven zero two, uh, which is you know the the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and basically ever since 9-11, uh, this has been you know expanded on, and and renewed, and it's coming um, it's coming up for renewal, I believe, at the end of the year, where the IC, which is also referred to as the intelligence intelligence community, um, is going to say for or against or what what they need, and there's a lot of privacy. And civil liberty advocates um, that had attended this meeting. Uh, and I believe the meeting was held at the, um, uh, where was it held? I, I remember reading it. The Liberty Crossing Intelligence Campus uh, is where it was held. I don't know exactly where that is, um, but Republican lawmakers who remain aggrieved over the FBI's debauched operation to surveil a former Trump campaign aide amid its 2016 Russia inv- investigation have found. Um, Oh, have formed an extraordinary alliance with Democrats, uh, Democratic rivals who have long been critical of the FBI's power to warrantlessly access information about Americans, incidentally, in quotes, collected by spies in the process of monitoring foreign threats. And this is that whole mass dragnet surveillance operation that is performed. This happens all the time where there might be crimes uh, committed around protests, even though you're not part of the act actors or one of the actors committing a crime. If there was any surveillance uh, in place or MZ catchers or uh, geofencing requests to cellular providers for a given grid, um, it could result in you and your data being not you, but your data being, uh, given up, uh, in that, and even though you didn't do anything wrong. So, um, this, this is done on, on scale oftentimes, uh, not necessarily always in the U S but abroad. And it, you know, it's, it's a problem. So, uh, it says, the meeting organized by the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, was attended by top officials from the National Security Agency, the U.S. Department of Justice, and the Central Integ- Intelligence Agency, among others, General Paul Nakason, the, the NSA director is believed to have attended, though neither the intelligence community community or any source at the meeting would confirm or deny his presence. It says, all, all sources spoke with Wired on background, citing the rules established Ahead of the gathering, so uh, privacy and civil liberty advocates and attendance Thursday. This is uh, this article came out September eighth, so a couple of weeks ago. Uh, say one of their chief objectives was putting the intelligence community on notice. Without significant privacy reforms, any effort to reauthorize the use of its most powerful surveillance weapon, Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, will be a doomed undertaking. The 9-11 era program, occasionally referred to as the air quotes crown jewel of the U.S. intelligence, is set to expire at the end of the year. Sources in Congress with knowledge of ongoing negotiations over the program say Biden administration officials have privately encouraged lawmakers to pass a air quote clean bill this winter airing fears that any potential lapse in their surveillance would pose a national security threat. Targets of the seven zero two program have expanded in the past decade beyond terrorists in the Middle East and today include foreign cybersecurity threats linked to Iran, or Iran, Russia and China, as well as drug traffickers involved in the production of fentanyl, dangerous opiate, uh, flooding the U.S. streets. The fate of the 702 program hangs by the uh, precarious thread with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, increasingly scrutinous of the FBI's ability to tap into data that the intelligence community has long claimed is only un intentionally collected on Americans, a byproduct of casting a wide surveillance net over the communications of hundreds of thousands of individuals each year believed or assumed to be agents of hostile foreign powers. Restricting the Bureau's access to this data for domestic criminal investigations without first obtaining a court order remains one of the top reforms sought by the intelligence community's bipartisan critics. I'll have this article linked in here. Um, I felt like these three or four paragraphs were, would kind of just at a high level, explain what's happening. So these meetings happen behind closed doors. They don't happen on C-SPAN. So people don't really know the media doesn't really report on this kind of stuff because it's not that sensational. I mean, you can sensationalize it, but it's not that sensational uh, at, at its core. And it's really not important. It doesn't sell ads, so they're not going to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it. And um, this is uh, this is something that you can do. Something about you can reach out to your uh, congressional representatives, and you can tell them how you feel about this. You can tell them about how uh, it impacts your life and your neighbors' lives and everyone around you. They may or may not listen but you can do something. Uh, so this is something we'll keep an eye on through its progress. I don't expect much to change. I don't expect that uh, this isn't going to be just uh, renewed and probably even expanded on, uh, but this is the reason why we do what we do, which is uh, be an advocate, be vigilant, be a soldier, uh, and we're... We are kind of savage when it comes to it. When I say savage, I don't necessarily mean in a violent way. I mean in a passionate way that drives us to do what we do to stay up late nights and read documentation and play around with different technology and communicate with others to help protect and shield ourselves as well as our loved ones and friends and family. And, you know, there's always someone in the family. And if you're listening to this, it might be you <laughs> unless you're one of my family members. And then it's probably me. Um, so it's just something that I wanted to highlight. It's not like we got a deep dive into it um, there. I'm going to just dovetail right into the next thing, which is car companies. Stop your huge data collection programs. This is a call uh, for a, a um, what am I trying to say? Uh, signing a petition. So this is on the privacy not included blog. This is one of the Mozilla blogs. Uh, It says nowadays our cars are anything but a private space. They are full-blown data collection nightmares on wheels. New Mozilla research has revealed that popular global car brands like Chevrolet, Nissan, Toyota, Kia, Audi, Jeep, Honda, Volkswagen, and more are collecting your deeply personal data like your genetic information and sexual activity. This invasive harvesting of information is collected via a web of sensors, microphones, cameras, phones, apps, and connected services you use in your vehicle. It says car companies are brazenly collecting deeply personal information about people the moment they get into a car, often without explicit consent to do so. And that's why the Mozilla's community is now together to force car companies to respect our rights privacy. And it says your, in your name to ask car companies to stop collecting, sharing and selling of our very personal information. Find out more about our research and you can click on, on that link. I'll have this a link to this in the show notes so you can go and check it out. And then you can go check out the, um, the blog post where it goes into the whole um, breakdown of this. But some of the highlights are out of 25 uh, car brands in their research they had 25 dings uh, of, of something being sent. And it says 63% of mental health apps, another product category that stinks at privacy, we reviewed this year, are receiving the ding as well. Uh, so it says 84% share or sell your data of what they what they uh, uh, researched. And it says 92% give drivers little to no control over their personal data. Now, For a long time, car manufacturers have um, stored diagnostics information, which has been accessible ever since the ODB2. Is it ODB2 or OBD2? I think it's ODB2. The uh, port under your steering wheel down by the footwell is usually where they'll plug in, and you might have used one to diagnose a check engine light or something on your vehicle. But this is where diagnostics information is pulled. But there's also a plethora of other kinds of data that's collected, and a a lot of newer cars that are equipped with GPS uh, locators uh, for navigation and things also will write telemetry to and and store that information as far as uh, where the cars traveled, when, and, and all that stuff. But now there's even more of that, which is happening in real time. Uh, I purchased a car a couple of years ago uh, with some regret now, uh, a 2021 Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport, and it has LTE built into it. Gives you the option to pay a monthly fee and you can even have an always-on Wi-Fi hotspot in your car. And at the time, of course, I mean, I was like, well, I I don't need a hotspot, but I didn't really think about think about that. But it's an always-on internet connected car. I get an email like once every two months or so from Volkswagen saying what health of my car, what condition or what the health you know is of my vehicle. Does it need an oil change, time for tire rotation, that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, I mean, I know how they know that, but they shouldn't know that. And when you take your car in for service, they also, uh, what even if just a simple oil ch- change, most of the oil change places and car repair places and dealerships for sure, all write to Central Database of your maintenance when the last time you rotated your tires and so on and so forth. So if you try to tell your insurance company, Oh, I only drive like 10,000 miles a year. They can know you're lying because they can actually pull the records of your vehicle from these databases and see that, Oh, you're actually getting an oil change every month on a, on a 5,000 mile interval. So you're not telling the truth, right? Uh, or maybe every two months or whatever. My point is, you don't own the vehicle anymore in, the, in a sense. I, like you, you, it may be yours as in it's your piece of metal, but it, it's not your property. If someone else has ac- 24-7 access to it, you're, you're basically a subscriber at that point. Like you would like Spotify or something. It's not your music, right? It's not your car. It's, you know, yes, maybe you can go in and rip all that crap out. Now, if you can, I'd probably consider that as an idea. It may break things in your car. So (laughs) make sure you're not going to avoid your warranty by doing that. Um, Or maybe it's time to start considering older cars or cars with less uh, invasive surveillance because this is only going to get worse. And this information is information that's being We don't even know all of the detail because a lot of these cars are equipped with hands-free phone usage, right, for safety purposes. So your hands are staying on the wheel and you can talk to whoever you want on the phones. But those microphones can be accessed and listened to. They can be recording something. We don't don't know. Um, And if you're having, (laughs) you know, this is just another attack vector I look at it is. So it kind of, it's just something to think about. And, you know, I'll have a link to this article if you want to deep dive. I would I would highly suggest uh, going in and taking a look, a look at that. There's also, oh, I do this every time. I listen to a really good podcast. I want to say, it was either uh, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons or it was, um, what's the other one I listen to all the time? Um, Jesus. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Okay, it was actually the Watchman Privacy Podcast, episode number 78, titled An Unencrypted Hard Drive on Wheels Car Privacy with Andrea Amico, uh, who is the founder and creator of Privacy for Cars. That's the number four, privacy, the number four, cars.com. And they discuss the data that is transmitted from phone to car. Uh, I'm just kind of going through the title real quick here um, and then car to network. So I I believe it's referred to as telematics. If I'm mistaken, you can correct me, but it was a great, um, great podcast. And this goes beyond just CarPlay and Android auto. Uh, yeah, CarPlay is Apple's CarPlay. It kind of goes into the connection of the car to other networks, um, and it was really fascinating. So I, and this actually came out on July 4th, this episode, and I listened to it on a road trip and I found it fascinating. I, I kind of knew a lot of that was going on, but now it's, it's, it's continuing here. And I, I would definitely recommend going and listening to that episode. Um, I, and if not, nothing else going and reading this article, where this is labeled, it's, uh, it's official, cars are the worst product category we have ever reviewed for privacy, uh, and that is a, a pretty impactful statement, I mean, ever reviewed for privacy, so, oh, wow, it looks like there's a Reddit AMA happening today, <laughs> I just noticed there's an update to the article, so uh, that that would be kind of interesting, but uh, anyways, it's it's a segment that I've never brought up on the podcast, but it is a huge privacy nightmare. And it's something to be cognizant of that when you're in your car, what should be a a, 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 air quote safe space for you to have conversations, uh, where things should be ephemeral, they are not. So keep that in mind. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a little, uh, yeah, it's, it pisses me off. So, uh, going into the next article, T-Mobile users say others, Other people's account information is appearing in their app. This actually just came out this morning, uh, I believe. I saw it on Mastodon or Noster. I'm not sure which one. Uh, It says, there's some weirdness happening over at T-Mobile this morning. Multiple T-Mobile consumers uh, on X, formerly Twitter and Reddit, have reported that they're able to see other users' account data, including their current credit card. Uh, Balance, purchase history, credit card information, and home address when signing into their own T Mobile accounts. Some T Mobile customers have mentioned seeing information from several other accounts, but the scale of the issue isn't yet clear. It's prevalent enough that the T Mobile subreddit has asked its users to avoid posting any further information for security reasons. T Mobile later blamed the issue on a technology update glitch and said the problem had been fixed as of Wednesday afternoon. There was no cyber attack or breach of T Mobile. This was a temporary system glitch related to a planned overnight technology update involving limited account information for fewer than 100 customers, which probably is bullshit, uh, which was quickly resolved. T-Mobile spokesperson Tara Darrow said in a statement, uh, email to The Verge. So this article is on The Verge. And of course, they have embedded tweets of people who actually have posted screenshots um of of what they're looking at and they're like, yeah, I don't have, you know, these three wearables and two phones. And someone says, um, so why the TF, you know, the frick did I just pay my T Mobile bill, added my card, and somebody else's information came up after I paid. I mean, so the reason why I kind of brought this up was to invoke the savagery inside of you that, you know, we do business with these companies who we We put a lot of faith and trust in, right? When you're giving them your personal information, your credit card information, billing info, their private details about you. And they just can, you know, have glitches. Might be unintentional. They might be intentional sometimes. But regardless, you have to think like a hacker, is the whole theme of this. And that's a perfect example why your car. A service provider like your cell phone, T-Mobile is not like new. They've been around for a long time, and they're going to make mistakes because they're ran by humans. Humans are fallible. We make we make bad choices. We make bad decisions, and we make mistakes. And it's it's uh it's going to continue to keep happening. So as you're planning your threat model, as you should be evaluating your threat model on an ongoing basis. Um, meaning what is it you're trying to protect yourself who and what are you trying to protect yourself from? And oftentimes, you know, people will say, Well, I don't have anything to hide. What okay, all of your personal information, your credit card information? Would you like to keep that private? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. So let's be vigilant about it. Um, that is not that is a cop out excuse. And it's an excuse that's made to make people who are privacy focused and an advocate for privacy to feel ashamed for wanting to be vigilant about how your data is used and who has it. This is why I promote things like using gift prepaid gift cards, uh, paying for things in crypto, using fake names and addresses for things like your cell phone provider. You have no obligation to give anyone real identity info at all. Unless obviously it's like the internal revenue service or your bank or Law enforcement—that's even questionable at times. Consult a lawyer first. I'm not giving any legal advice, but what I am saying is that you don't have any obligation to give most of the companies that ask for your information to give it to them. How many times have you seen it? You're standing in line anywhere. You get to the register. Can we get your number? Can we get your number? We want your phone number because your phone number is a unique primary key. From if, if you're looking at this from like a relational database standpoint. Uh, there's many, there's many, uh, facets about you, but one particular that you have that nobody else will is your phone number. You may have a similar name to somebody. You may live in a similar town on the same street, but only you are going to have that phone number. So that phone number is everything. Stop giving out your real phone number. Use a pseudo number. I don't use Google voice. If nothing else, it's free. Find ways to create or not. We're not going to say falsify because it's still you. You're the one that has access to it. It is you, but falsify your name, falsify your email, use simple login to create unique email addresses for every single service you sign up for. You want HBO Max or whatever the hell it's called these days, Max or whatever, use a simple login email, use a privacy.com, a debit card or a gift card, something you can control and and set it up, and and that's fine. But they're not getting, they're not. That is the value they get. They get your money. They shouldn't get all, all of your other stuff too. On top of that, your name and your your address and uh, your your email address and your phone, everything. They don't get that. Save that. That is sacred. So, uh, on the topic of that, Molvad actually has uh, just gone through yet another audit. It says we have successfully completed our migration to Ram only VPN infrastructure. I'm not promoting Molvad. I use Molvad. I also use Proton and iVPN. Um, I I kind of like to have multiple VPNs that I use for different things. And Molvad VPN has been pretty solid and you can pay for it anonymously, uh, which is cool. But it says today, and this is uh, dated September 20th. So this actually was yesterday. It says today we announced that we have completely removed all traces of disks being used by our VPN infrastructure. This is a big deal. It says in early 2022, we announced the beginning of our migration to using diskless infrastructure with our bootloader known as Boot. So it's completing the transition to diskless infrastructure. Our VPN infrastructure has since been audited with this configuration twice in 2023 and 2022. And all future audits of our VPN servers will focus solely on RAM only deployments. All of our VPN servers continue to use our custom and extensively slimmed down Linux kernel uh, where we follow the mainline branch of kernel development. This is a, has allowed us to pull the latest version so that we can stay up to date with new features and performance improvements as well as tune and completely remove unnecessary bloat in the kernel. The result is the operating system that we boot prior to being deployed weighs in at just over 200 megabytes. When servers are rebooted or provisioned for the first time, we can Be safe in the knowledge that we get a freshly built kernel, no traces of any log files, and a fully patched operating system. So, uh, you know, I'm never going to tell you to put all your faith in anything other than yourself and your own knowledge and your own skill sets. But it is good to see companies being forthright and transparent um, and allowing themselves to be audited And read those audits online, just like we've seen subpoenas from like Signal and things like that online and say, hey, this is what we're doing uh, and this is why we're doing it. And so do I believe that Mulvad VPN is the greatest, best, no logging VPN on the planet? No, I do not. I always think that there's a way, if there's a government or a law enforcement agency, there's always a way to strong arm. But... I would put more faith in using them than I would some shilled out VPN you see on YouTube everywhere that says military grade encryption and no logging bullshit. They all log They're They're full of it. And I, and I wouldn't even put a lot of, uh, eggs in this basket with Mullvad. but MOLVAD has had a pretty good track record, uh, of being open and transparent. And this is positive news. And, and if you're purchasing it with a, with a, uh, uh, cryptocurrency or cash and you're you're setting up your account um from an open wi-fi i I feel like you're you're fairly more protected than you would if you were signing up for a vpn service from your home ip address using your credit card so um you know, this isn't a full blown recommendation. I like, I say try different options and see what works best for you. Do your own research. My general recommendations are Proton VPN, IVPN, Molvad VPN. Those are the ones that I use, but I'm not endorsing them. I'm just saying, you know, I trust them a little bit more. <laughs> I guess is the is the best way to go into it. Um, and also, if uh, if you're a Threema user, I don't really use Threema. Threema is another end-to-end encrypted, uh, non identifiable, end-to-end messaging platform, kind of like Telegram, Signal, so on and so forth. Um, I don't really mean to put them in the same bucket as Telegram. I just meant their interface is kind of similar to Telegram. Uh, You might use Session or Signal. Threema is another one. But they have just uh, released the iOS uh, uh, client for a computer without needing a connection to your smartphone. So uh, Signal does the same thing. I use Signal and Signal Beta. I use both apps because I have multiple numbers that I have on Signal. And I like that I can use them on my desktop without the reliance of connecting to a cell phone Because some apps basically use the cell phone as a as a gateway, uh, where it's like relaying the messages. If you're a Android user using Google Messages, uh, uh, there's a. you know, web client. You can use uh, messages.google.com. You can actually install Google Messages on Linux. Um, I've used it in the past quite a bit. It's in the Arch uh, user repository as well, but it's pretty much everywhere, uh, which allows you to have kind of like an iMessage type experience. But it does require the phone uh, nearby to, to you know or, or to be on and used and whatever to relay to use the messages uh, use it as a gateway. Uh, It just gives you convenience because if you're on your computer all day, you can, you know, respond to your text messages and what have you. And so Threema's kind of uh, bridged the gap. So starting today, Threema's innovative new desktop app is available to all iOS users as a stable beta version that can be used as a daily driver. So the next generation of the desktop app was redesigned from the ground up and it doesn't just sport a completely refreshed and modern UI, big selling point with a significantly faster response time, but it also offers multi-device support, even when your smartphone is turned off or not connected to the internet, you are able to chat from the computer. So that's cool. If you, um, use Threema and you also use like a Faraday bag or you, you like to turn it off or tuck it away, uh, it doesn't mean that it now you're going to miss out on your Threema, uh, messages, uh, because with this new app update, uh, you can, you can use it as a standalone. So yeah, that's, uh, those are the highlights. I have a whole nother sheet of news and articles um, that I'm not going to get into because this, then this podcast would be like two hours long. Uh, some of the updates were just uh, updates to Android 14 and being able to uh, shut down 2G, which is often used for triangulation. Uh, I was going to talk about World ID. What is Worldcoin and why you should avoid it? Don't get sucked into that stuff. Um, Twitter verification, which is in the news again. Uh, it looks like perhaps Elon is considering a subscription model to mitigate bots on X, formerly Twitter. Um, we'll see if that comes into play. David Bumble, a very uh, popular YouTube channel who talks a lot about hacking and privacy and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, it's, it's talking about graphene OS, which I love to see, um, uh, Firefox rolling out, uh, email masking, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I was going to talk about cosa K O S A, which is the, um, protecting kids, social media Act. you know, why it's a terrible idea. So there's, there's some things, um, Obviously, the Microsoft signing keys getting hijacked was a big deal. Um, so I might just put these links in the show notes if they all fit uh, because I really wanted to get into being a hacker and what being a hacktivist means. So um, actually, let's just let's just start with this. I'm just going to start with this clip who is um, uh, this particular. Actually, the one I'm going to play first is... Let me, why did, why did I just lose uh, track? Okay, sorry. This first clip is uh, Lee Tian. He's a senior staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and this is uh, the intro to a documentary, which I will have linked. It's free. It's on YouTube. I recommend you watch it, called The Hectivist, um, and this is just something that uh, um, I found, yeah, impactful, so let's take a listen.
0: Most companies, many companies do not like, um, they take a proprietary sort of attitude towards their technology. They don't want to encourage folks to, um, to take it apart and figure out how it works because they may be, might be afraid that someone could build a competing device or another device that's compatible with it and in some way affect or interfere with their vision or expectation of how um, you know, the market for their product goes. A hacker is someone who uses their technical knowledge to either overcome an obstacle or achieve a goal. And there are various types of hackers. We have black hats, and black hats have malicious intent, usually to exploit other individuals or systems. We have white hats. White hats are ethical hackers. They have authority to gain unauthorized access to a system we have gray hats gray hats are neither good nor bad but they will use unauthorized attempts to penetrate systems however gray hats do not normally cause harm
2: so this was an introductory into uh the documentary the hacktivist which is about andrew bunny huang Huang, Wong, um, who was an MIT student and basically got, I wouldn't say busted, but Microsoft came after him for hacking their ROM on, on the ROM on the Xbox and was able to... Um, Use the Xbox for other things as a regular regular PC computer and bypass some of the uh, boot up functionality of the Xbox and posted it online and you know he was a hacker he was he was trying to figure out how things worked he bought something that belonged to him with his own money and uh, yeah gotten gotten some hot water for it he has um, gone on in life to start some pretty cool projects one that I've been looking at called precursor which is a complete ground up hardware and software open source phone uh which is which is pretty wild and i haven't done a whole lot more research into like trying to acquire one there's a link on crowd supply where you can actually purchase it and there's also a blog post about it um, that will be linked in the show notes under the precursor uh headline so if that's something of of interest i highly recommend checking it out um But I want to uh, play this clip where a lot of people call him uh, Benny uh, about, you know, I kind of labeled this as, you know, humanity and technology because I found it quite fascinating. This actually came at the end of the documentary. And so just kind of wanted to uh, play play it for you. But he he has collaborated with um, Edward Snowden on firmware attacks. He, He and Edward Snowden were working on iPhones. And taking them apart and they basically put a board in between it that would allow them to know when sensors were being turned on and when it was transmitting data and they were able to kind of intercept that because uh, there was and still is for journalists the uh, threat of surveillance uh, using things like pegasus software by nso group and other types of vulnerabilities or zero-day vulnerabilities to uh, target journalists because journalists have, usually get access to other people that government or state actors want access to, uh, whether to arrest them or kill them or something. So journalists are, are a great way because they kind of lead them to where they're doing a story, they're doing research, they're doing interviews. And so they're a great you know, resource for governments and state actors to follow them Surveil them and see who they're talking to and where those people are that they're talking to. Um, and I just felt like uh, this was really eye opening in a different again, a different lens in being proactive and um, in, in trying to understand how things in your life work, how the technology that you have in your life works. And this is why I'm a big. A, 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 a yeah, opponent, a, a big proponent, proponent for self hosting, because though you may find yourself feeling a little more easy about using Proton or nota for say something like email versus say Gmail, uh, especially now that Google barred AI is now utilizing uh, their. Uh, artificial intelligence to help you find things within your account, which means it's scanning everything, your Google drive, your photos, your email, they're trying to sell the convenience to you, uh, but at the cost of giving up everything. Um, And so, uh, you know, understanding how things work, but also keep in mind that something that you're putting your eggs into in that basket could be sold to a company later on down the road. Money is a huge motivator. I mean, as ethical as a lot of these founders are, we've seen from the beginnings of like you know Jack Dorsey with Twitter, who's now uh, a big promoter of, of Nostr, which uh, we'll talk about Nostr another time. I'm, I'm on Nostr. You can follow me if you want, uh, or the WhatsApp founders after the acquisition by by Facebook and how it, they were assured that user data wouldn't be compromised and how and uh, you know, why people use the app. And eventually Facebook, you know, reneged a little bit on their agreements, not a little bit, they did, uh, but you know, to them it was their IP now and those WhatsApp founders left to go start other, other applications and services that are privacy respect. I'm just saying, even the people that have the best intentions at heart sometimes sell because, well, they're oftentimes for a ton of money up to hundreds of millions or billion dollars. Um, so that really cool niche app or community that you become a part of think about from the very beginning, how that data may end up being used one year, five year, 10 years down the road. And if you set yourself up in a way where you're protecting your identity and you're protecting your data, it won't impact you as much as people who have basically, uh, had all of their information sold out for profit. So that's kind of where this whole, become a hacker mentality and an agency of technology comes from for me um and being pissed off and savage about it so let's get into the next one uh this clip is by andrew huang
1: i want people to be in control of their life and their destiny I, i feel people should have agency there is no magic in this technology you know i want people to remember that we can understand these things. Um, And this is a a recurring theme over and over again, but like the point at which you um, sort of say, like, I'm just not going to understand this technology is too complicated. You've basically crossed the line into a religion, right? It's like, it's just faith. All these things we've talked about, agency of technology, education, and people knowing where things came from, this open source aspect of things, I'm I'm trying to distill it all into products that I make. So I built my own laptop uh, with with Sean, um, and and I'm now building this device called Precursor, also known as Be Trusted. And this thing sort of represents the academic, high water bar of 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 a you own it, you completely control it, you completely trust it device. The number one thing is that can an individual, can a human being still know technology well enough to produce their own technology. Have we gone past a tipping point where it's no longer possible for us to even know what's in our devices because it's gotten too complex? I think I'm optimistic that technology will find its way into the right hands. I'm also realistic that there are limits to this, right, and there will be problems and we have to address them. We have to acknowledge that technology is dual use and, and bad things and bad people can do bad things with it. I prefer A semi-utopia where we have faith in the goodness of humans and we empower them and then we sort of regulate when it goes wrong versus the semi-dystopia of uh, we must make the decisions for you and protect you from yourself.
2: some epic background music there that was part of the documentary I wasn't able to separate that out so I hope it wasn't too uh, distracting from the message that he was communicating but I I really like the ethos that he lives by and meaning that like you really want to know and understand how things operate and work it doesn't mean you have to be uh, an engineer a, technolo- a technology engineer but it, it helps if you push yourself to learn more and understand how things operate. And that might be something as simple as watching, starting out watching some YouTube videos that teach you how to use Wireshark. Wireshark is an application. It's free and it's open source that allows you to watch network traffic and see uh, what happens, what you're connecting to. There's several apps out there. I've been using Portmaster uh, by safing.io. It's like 100 bucks a year. It's better than a VPN. This is not a promotion. It's just something that I, I really enjoy seeing what every app and every service on my on my Linux system is connecting to when I'm running applications, when I'm going on the web and blocking stuff. And um, There's a lot of different tools, um, but... Being, first of all, just having the interest and and knowing that doesn't matter how smart you think you are. Fortunately, there are some great tools out there that help you uh, a little bit more than we had five, ten years ago uh, to understand exactly what's happening with your systems on your network, uh, researching maybe a good firewall. PF Sense is one that we recommend uh, that you can kind of really get in and, and understand What you're allowing in and out of your network because your home network uh, is pretty, pretty active, (laughs) especially if you have um, any IoT devices, smart, any smart light hubs, you know, anything that connects to the internet, essentially, what is it sending out? How often are those devices getting security firmware updates, start doing an inventory, right? Start keeping a log, even if you just write down, start out by writing down everything that's in your home, whether you have any smart lights, a smart TV, Roku, you know all these different things and just saying okay, I at least have a log of what I know should be on my network. Taking a look at your network and looking at your devices, uh, checking checking your firewall settings and making sure you don't have anything open that shouldn't be open. Um, and this sounds like it can be hard, but it can actually be quite simple. And a lot of the interfaces nowadays uh, help you see that information. And there's tools out there you can also use to utilize that. And we'll get into more of those types of tools later on down the road in other episodes. Um, but this is just more of like a... a a starting point, a position of, of a framework for your for your thinking about things and thinking like a hacker. Um, hacking doesn't necessarily mean hacking for bad, right? We we covered uh, in one of those sound clips, you know, white hat, gray hat, black hat, you know, hackers and kind of like the differences between them. Um, and and just thinking about, okay, how do I how do I see what's going on? And just having that interest and taking having the courage to step up and and take a look. Uh, so I'm going to close with this last clip. Uh, this last clip is, um, uh, soundbite from, uh, DEF CON 31, which just happened a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas happens every year. Uh, this person's name is Corey doctor, Doctoro, D O C T O R O W. Uh, I'll have a link to the full YouTube, his, his, uh, presentation, uh, which is really good. Uh, definitely if you have the time, I would watch, watch this YouTube video which is the presentation at DEF CON. And I also take a look if you have time to watch the, uh, the documentary, the hacktivist, um, about Andrew Huang and his story and kind of like where, and where he came from and what he does and why he does it. Uh, just, it's a really good, it's a really good way to get your mind in that, in that, uh, position. So he was talking about, um, uh, this Corey uh, fellow, the, the title of his of his uh, presentation is an audacious plan to halt the Internet's uh, in and and talking about kind of the history of where it came from and what it is today and how these big tech companies operate today from squashing anyone else that might be coming up, whether either by buying them out, uh, suppressing them or using legal action. So uh, this is a few minutes long. So, yeah, buckle up.
0: Do you remember the Napster Wars? Tech was much bigger than the entertainment sector back during the Napster Wars, but big content kicked tech's ass because there were five labels and seven studios, which meant that they could easily agree on a single unified response to P2P. And today, there's three labels and four studios. Those companies are so incestuous, they've got the corporate equivalent of a Habsburg jaw. And they've decided that they're gonna replace every creative worker with a chatbot, which is why the actors and writers in my hometown in Burbank have spent the summer (laughs) roasting on treeless sidewalks in front of the studios. Because when a sector has five companies or four or three or two, it can agree on one policy direction and it can screw its customers and suppliers so hard that it amasses a fortune that lets it get that policy. Today's tech is even more concentrated than the entertainment sector was back during the Napster Wars, and they've agreed that history has come to an end. When Apple reversed office and built iWork, Microsoft had to just suck it up. But in the ensuing decades, Apple and Microsoft and Google and Facebook and the other tech giants have secured changes to law, regulation, and policy that make it illegal to do unto them as they did unto others. If you were to reverse the file formats used by iOS and make a runtime for its apps and a player for the DRM-restricted media that that you get through it, Apple would reduce you to rubble. They'd come after you with Section 1201 of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, tortious interference with contract, copyright, patent, trademark, and trade secrecy, the stuff that we call IP, in other words. Now, I know free software hackers hate it when you use the word IP. They say it doesn't mean anything. But no, IP means something very specific when we're talking about a business context. IP is any rule or law that lets me reach outside of the four corners of my business and exert control over the conduct of my competitors, my customers, and my critics. Or as Jay Freeman from the Cydia Project puts it, this is felony contempt of business model. And here's what that looks like. Today... One in four web users has installed an ad blocker. Doc Searles calls it the largest consumer boycott in history, and he's not wrong. Ad blockers are only possible because browsers are open platforms. You don't have to bypass any IP to mod a browser and change the way the page renders in the user's browser. But if you want to add ad blocking to apps, you would commit half a dozen federal crimes. Bypass the DRM? Well, that's a DMCA 1201 violation. It's punishable by a five year prison sentence and a $500,000 fine for a first offense. An app is just a name for a web page that's been skinned with enough IP that uh, it will allow Apple or Google to send you to prison for felony content of business model if you mod it. So let's get back to initiification. Hacker interlude over.
2: So, sorry for the static and the recording sometimes when recording from YouTube, some of that gets in there so um, again the the static isn't in the actual YouTube video, so if that was distracting, I apologize, but go ahead and give that a watch uh, it's about forty eight minutes long, I think, uh, roughly, but it was well well worth it, and kind of eye opening from the perspective about where companies are at in. And and for profits, most of these companies are publicly traded. They have, um, you know, shareholders who own shares uh, and the profitability of the company. So that is their priority, not delivering the best experience and the way that they've migrated and and even kind of cannibalized things and come after smaller companies and, and their methods for doing so. Uh, makes me not really want to do business at all with any of these platforms. Uh, Just like Amazon, I know it's convenient, but um, shopping local, putting money into the pockets of of, uh, store owners and that employ people in your hometowns um, is is a much preferred way. Yeah, you might spend a little extra, uh, but it it, it basically kind of... um, Is a way of protest, just like using browsers that will block ads and trackers uh, that are just there to create profiles and fingerprints on you with super cookies and following you around uh, for the sole purpose to sell you junk. And um, yeah, so that's, that's it. I'm going to close this episode number 27. Thanks for listening. Uh, Look forward to doing the next one uh, soon and having a couple different people. I'm trying to get in for some interviews. So as that happens, I'll, uh, I'll be dripping that out. Definitely come by the matrix channel, follow on Mastodon or maybe Twitter. I'm semi active on Twitter, but probably becoming less and less so over time. It's just a, it's a big time waste. So Anyways, I will uh catch you in the next one. I hope you are all doing well. And uh yeah, until next time. Be a hacker. Okay, oh, yeah. boa. Look,
0: they can never keep me down. I'm going, and if I ever fail the snow, I'll go again. I never quit because I know that every loss may lead to another win. I'm going up. <laughs> I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch I'm so setting the stage, you should give me my prize You ain't got no soul, you lacking the spirit You talk out your neck, I'ma show you I'm with it I been really happy you to sit and watch me win again and win again and win again I know it's probably getting on me and win in them, So if I ever win again